people did not give it credence that a young girl could leave home and go off in the wintertime to avenge her father's blood, but it did happen. I was just 14 years of age when a coward by the name of Tom Cheney shot my father down and robbed him of his life and his horse and two California gold pieces that he carried in his trouser band. Cheney was a hired man, and Papa had taken him up to Fort Smith to help lead back a string of Mustang ponies he'd bought. In town, Cheney had fallen to drink and cards and lost all his money. He got it into his head he was being cheated and went back to the boarding house for his Henry rifle. When Papa tried to intervene, Cheney shot him. Cheney fled. He could have walked his horse, for not a soul in that city could be bothered to give chase. No doubt Cheney fancied himself scot-free, but he was wrong. You must pay for everything in this world one way and another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. How many of you saw the original True Grit with John Wayne? How many John Wayne fans do we have? I'm a John Wayne fan. I, I own the movie, love it. And I resisted this one for a while, but uh, I heard good things about it, so I watched it. And there's a whole lot of scripture. There's a whole lot of hymns. If you know the old hymns, you'll recognize those songs in this movie. Um, but one of the things that, that captured my attention was with the last two lines she just said. This is Maddie. This is narrated by the girl who is, is pursuing uh, the murderous Tom Cheney. She said, you must pay for everything in this world one way and another. There is nothing free except the grace of God. Now, if you watch this movie, it doesn't take long to realize that Tom Cheney is one mean dude. Maddie's father had taken him in and was trying to help him out, get him back on his feet. But he discovered too late, uh, Maddie's father did, that Tom wasn't so interested in grace as he was in gold. And he murdered uh, her father for these two gold pieces. Now, how many of you uh, are action movie fans? Let me see your hands. And, and in action movies, there's always a bad guy, right? And, and do you like it when the bad guy gets what's coming to him at the end? Or are you the type of people that, that when the bad guy gets away scot-free, you go walking out of the movie going, that was awesome! Anyone? No. We like justice. And, and I think part of the reason we like justice is because I believe we were created in the image of God. And one of the things that God says is He's a God of justice. But on the other side of that, God is also a God of mercy and grace. And sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense to our minds. We can't grasp that God, God can like justice and He can like mercy and He's still one God. And see, we're, we're the type, we will applaud an, a kind deed. We see kind deeds, we're like, oh, that's great. You see, I watch uh, SportsCenter ESPN and they'll do all these nice stories. And, and Janie likes the stories. She doesn't watch the sports. She couldn't care less about the sports. But if she's in there putting her makeup on and she hears one of these really good stories about something good coming on, here she comes and she'll sit down and watch it. And then she becomes a fan of whoever the person was that, that did the kind deed. We, we applaud kindness, but we just as soon will we'll applaud justice, Right? When we see justice is done, we will applaud, but we'll cry out when injustice is done. Now, in the movie, it takes us a while to come face to face with the bad guy. Now, in the meantime, when you meet the bad guy, you know, he, he is a typical bad guy. He's dark, he's mean, he's ugly, just has his presence about him. But in the meantime, we get to meet all of the other characters 
in this next scene, I want you to watch the compassion, the kindness, the generosity shown between these two main characters. Check this out. My name is Labeef. I've just come from Yale County. We have no rodeo clowns in Yale County. A saucy line will not get you far with me. I saw your mother yesterday morning. She said for you to come right on home. What was your business there? called him Tom Cheney, I believe. Though in the months I've been tracking him, he has used the name Theron Chelmsford, John Todd Anderson, and others. He dallied in Monroe, Louisiana, and Pine Bluff, Arkansas, before turning up at your father's place. Well, why did you not catch him in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, or Monroe, Louisiana? He's a crafty one. I thought him slow-witted myself. That was his act. That was a good one. Are you some kind of law? That's right. I'm a Texas Ranger. That may make you a big noise in that state. In Arkansas, you should mind that your Texas trappings and title do not make you an object of fun. Why have you been ineffectually pursuing Cheney? He shot and killed a state senator named Bibbs in Waco, Texas. Bibbs' family put out a reward. Well, how came Cheney to shoot a state senator? My understanding is there was an argument about a dog. You know anything about the whereabouts of Cheney? He's in the territory, and I hold out little hope for you winning your bounty. Why is that? My man will beat you to it. I fired a deputy marshal, the toughest one they have. Annie's familiar with the luck in that pepper gang they say Cheney's tied up with. Well, I will throw in with you and your marshal. No. Marshal Cogburn and I are fine. It'll be to our mutual advantage. Your marshal, I presume, knows the territory. I know Cheney. It is at least a two-man job taking him alive. When Cheney is taken, he's coming back to Fort Smith to hang. I'm not having him go to Texas to hang for shooting some senator. It is not important where he hangs, is it? It is to me. Is it to you? It means a great deal of money to me. It's been many months' work. Oh, I'm sorry that you were paid pace work and not on wages, and that you have been eluded the winter long by half wit. You give out very little sugar with your pronouncements. While I sat there watching you, I gave some thought to stealing a kiss. Though you are very young and sick and unattractive to boot. But now I have a mind to give you five or six good licks with my belt. One would be as unpleasant as the other. If you wet your comb, I might tame that cowlick. Yeah, y'all got into it there. there. There was not a lick of kindness going on there. There was no compassion, no humility. Um, how many of you thought this funny, right? That's a pretty funny scene. Um... I laugh every time I see it, but but as I was watching this, I thought, okay, we know the bad guy, he's he's messed up, and, and we root against him, but what makes people treat each other like this scene? Because you know it's common, right? Somebody comes in, and they insult you, and you want to insult them back, and you want to get the best of it, and whether you got the best of them or not, you're going to tell somebody you did, and you're going to make yourself look better. You've seen stories like that. Well, I said this, and I said this. You said that? Well, not exactly that. What makes us treat people like that? It's a disease, and we all have it, and this is on your listening guide. People have hard heart disease. 
The simple answer is that every one of us has a hard heart. And it becomes very easy for hard-hearted people to attack other people. Read the Old Testament. One of the number one complaints that God had against Israel, His chosen people, was that they're hard-hearted. Thick-headed, yes, but the bigger problem was they were hard-hearted. You get into the New Testament, and Jesus, the number one complaint He had against the religious leaders was they were hard-hearted. And then even this past week, I was reading in my daily devotions, and Jesus accuses his followers, his own disciples. He said, are you still so hard-hearted? This is rampant. This disease is rampant. And, and Jesus couldn't... He was amazed that his followers, his disciples, had this hard-hearted disease as well. So if we all have it, we better understand it. This is on your listening guide. Let's, let's define hard-hearted. It means angry, mean, rebellious, and insensitive. Anybody... Anybody been any of those this morning? Oh, yeah, a few. All right, okay. Actually, probably all of you have, but you just want to admit it. Now, when a person's heart becomes hard, at first, they take it out on God. They take their anger out on God, but it doesn't take long for them, for these same attitudes of anger, insensitive, mean, rebellious, to, to start showing up in their relationships with other people. And before you start thinking that you're not so bad, that this sermon is for someone else, maybe that you're married to or that is in your family or that you wish were here in your family, I want to describe a scenario to you, and it's going to be this hard-hearted scenario. And, and if you've ever found yourself in one of these situations, I want you to nod your head, right? So I'm going to be looking around and, and seeing how many people are nodding their head, how many people are in on this. Now, I've stolen this from, from Jeff Foxworthy. You know, you might be a redneck, but we're going to say you might have a hard heart. So if, if you get to the end of it, you'll know when the scene, when I've described it, then, then you can say with me, you might have a hard heart. All right? I think you'll catch on in a minute. Now, every one of these is true. Every scenario that I'm going to describe for you is true. I'm just wondering if you are going to admit it. If you've ever been cut off by another driver and you've thought about giving the other driver the one-fingered salute, you might have a hard heart. Nobody's nodding. Okay, I got some nodders. I got some nodders. All right. <laughs> While in the checkout line at Walmart, if you've ever sighed loudly enough that the person in front of you stops writing their check to see what all the commotion is about, you might have a hard heart. I'm looking. All right, I got a few. Um, oh, and, and I should have put in here couponers. Dude, I, I, was at, at, uh, I was in Dallas picking up a friend of mine. Jim Skelton's here today. I, I was picking him up, and I was at Target, and, and I checked all the lines. There's there only one good line, I thought, and, and the girl was an extreme couponer. I just stood there. I didn't do it. I didn't sigh. I didn't do anything because this, this message was on my mind. And then the girl behind the counter goes, thank you so much for your, your patience. And I was like, dude, my mom, I'm not my mom, my wife is an extreme couponer. So I can't, I can't get mad at somebody else for doing it. But in, in, in her defense, she had them out. It wasn't like I thought she was done. And then she goes, oh, by the way. No, she had, she had a stack, but all the other lines were. But anyway, I didn't have a hard heart that time. Let's see. Back to where we are. If you've ever wished you had an electronic zapping device to completely destroy the stereo system in your neighbor's car, you might have a hard heart. Or the person next to you at the, at the red light, whatever. If you've ever thrown a piece of lawn equipment because it doesn't run right, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever shot your neighbor's pet, 
you might have a hard heart. If you've ever thrown your dog over your own dog over a six foot wooden fence because he wouldn't quit barking at the cows at three o'clock in the morning, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever yelled at your kids to hurry up and get in the stinking car because we're going to be late to church, you might have a hard heart. If you've ever carried a large stick to your neighbor's house and threatened to kill your neighbor's dog and bury it in the creek in your own backyard, you might have a hard heart. Now, all but the last scenario are mine. Do you know who did the last one? Janie did, my wife. Even sweet little Janie can lose it and have a hard heart when her children are threatened by the neighbor's pit bull. She was taking the kids for a walk. This was back when Hannah was little. She was in the stroller. The pit bull got out, attacked our dog in our garage. Janie lost her ever-loving mind, and I just wish I'd been there to see it. I would have been cheering her on. That's the sexiest thing I've ever seen, baby. Man, when you push my wife far enough, big stick, next door neighbor, I will kill your dog and bury it in the creek. And I just, oh, man, I wish I could have seen that. Now, there's one person in the Bible who probably would have received the Iron Heart Award if, that, if there was such an award. And, and it was the man who was crucified next to Jesus. Now, you remember the story. Jesus was nailed on the cross in between two thieves. And, and we looked at this several weeks ago. We looked at this one passage um, when he says, uh, Today you'll be with me in paradise in our Red Letter uh, series, Red Letter Day series. So this, these guys are... Uh, Jesus is being crucified between these two criminals. And we're told in Matthew that people came by and hurled insults at Jesus. So Jesus hanging on the cross and people are making fun of him because he's hanging on the cross because he had claimed to be God's son. They're making fun of him. And in Matthew 27, 44, it says this. And the criminals who were crucified with him also shouted the same insults at him. Now, think about this. Jesus is dying on the cross for hard-hearted people. The same hard-hearted people that he's dying for come by and start hurling insults at him. That's harsh. But even the two criminals who deserve to be put to death for their crimes, they get on the act too. That's just beyond belief. But shortly before their deaths, these two criminals went totally opposite directions spiritually. And, and it's where we're going to look at is in Luke chapter 23, verse 39. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal had a change of heart. He protested, don't you fear God even when you're dying? We deserve to die for our evil deeds, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. What made the difference in where these two men ended up? is the condition of their heart. One criminal softened his heart, admitted his need for Christ, called out to Christ, and he got to go to paradise that day. The other criminal hardened his heart and continued to make fun of the Son of God. And the repentant thief says, man, you are inches from the Savior and moments from death, and you're still going to make fun of God, the very one you need? He didn't understand it. And from all we know in Scripture... The Iron Heart Award would have been presented to that one thief 
upon his arrival in hell. Because there's no indication that he ever changed his heart. But I got a message for you today. That same Iron Heart Award is awaiting any person who runs through this life with a hard heart, rejecting God and rejecting others. And they will be presented that upon their arrival in hell if they don't change their hearts. Well, let's talk for a few minutes about where a hard heart takes you. First place it takes you is away from God. The greater distance you are from God, the less you hear God's voice. It's why you make such stupid choices when you're far from God. Because even if somebody is telling you what God is saying, you're not listening because you're far from God. You become close to the things of God. There's no spiritual sensitivity. You eventually have no desire to hear God speak or to hang out with God's people. Hard hearts will finally come to the point of saying, I do not need God. Now, a hard heart takes you away from God, but it also does something else. And, and it takes you another place and it's illustrated in this next scene. I am not accustomed to so large a fire. In Texas, we'll make do with a fire a little more than twigs. Buffalo chips. Keep the night's ration of beans. And it is ranger policy never to make your camp in the same place as you cook fire. Very imprudent to make your presence known in unsettled country. How do you know Bagby will have intelligence? He has a store. That makes him an authority on movements in the territory? We have entered a wild place. And anyone coming in, wasn't any kind of supply, could not pick and choose his portal. That is a piece of foolishness. All the snakes are asleep this time of year. I have been known to wake up. Well, let me have a rope, too. Snake will not bother you. You are too little and bony. You should fetch water in the morning. Put it by the fire. Chris going ice over tonight. I'm not going down there again. If you want any more water, you can fetch it yourself. You're lucky to be traveling in a place where a spring is so handy. In my country, you can ride for days. I've seen no groundwater. Oh. I have lapped filthy water from a hoof print. I was glad to have it. If I ever meet one of you Texas waddies who says he had never drank water out of a horse track, I think I'll shake his hand, give him a Daniel Webster cigar. You do not believe it? Well, I believed it the first 25 times I heard it. Maybe, maybe it is true. Maybe lapping water off the ground is ranger policy. You're getting ready to show your ignorance now, Cogburn. I don't mind a little personal chaffing. But I won't hear anything against a ranger troop from a man like you. How long you boys been mounted on sheep down there? My white Appaloosa will still be galloping when that big American stud of yours is winded and collapsed. Now make another joke about it. You're only trying to put on a show for this girl, Maddie, with what you must think is a keen tongue. This is like women talking. Yes, that is the way. Make me out foolish in this girl's eyes. I think she is. You pretty well figured. So many great lines in, in that scene. Personal chaffing and, uh, oh, I've lapped. Lapped water from a hoof print, and I was glad to have it. And how long you've been mounted on sheep down there? Now, what causes us to to treat people like that? It's a hard heart, and so that's the second point here: is is the hardness of your heart also takes you away from others. Selfishness sits in. 
sets in, pride comes in. Your needs aren't important because my needs are all that I can see. Generosity, oh, please. Generous people um, are kind-hearted people. Uh, Tightwads, they're hard-hearted. <laughs> you're thinking I'm a tightwad, aren't you, James? Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Um, it's very difficult to be generous when your heart is hard because you, you look around. The people who serve are the people whose hearts have been changed by God. The people who give are the people whose hearts have been changed by God. And, and you know, you can say you love God and you can say you want to obey God, but if you don't obey Scripture, then your heart is hard. And... Uh, these layers pile up around our heart and we can't feel anymore and, and we become more and more self-centered. True love and concern for others is impossible with iron-encased-hearted people. Well, if we all have this disease, what causes it? Very simply, it's sin. Sin is saying no to God. Romans three twenty three says we all have this condition. For all have sinned and all fall short of God's glorious standard. When we sin, we're, we're saying no to God. And, and what is the, the center letter in the word sin? Circle that. I. I trouble. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want anyone else telling me what to do. I don't care if it's God. I don't care if it's someone who's speaking on God's behalf. I want to do what I want to do. And the big problem is that middle letter. I'm in charge. That means that God is not in charge. If sin causes a hard heart, then how many people in the world are affected by the disease? Well, all of us. Hard-heartedness comes on like this. If this orange represents your heart, the first time you say no to God, a little layer is wrapped around your heart. The second time that you say no to God, another layer is wrapped around. And your heart becomes callous. And it becomes a pattern in your life. After you get several, it becomes easier. You hear something of God and you don't even care what God says because your heart is encased. And you do this long enough and your heart becomes hardened. And you no longer even care about the things of God. Your hard heart takes you away from the things of God. It takes you away from other people, even people that desperately care about you. And, and the solution is we've got, to, uh, we've got to come to God and ask Him to do some things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. Now, hard hearts start with small things. Someone hurts your feelings and you never tell them. You know the Bible says that you're supposed to go to them if they've hurt your feelings, but you don't think it's worth doing so your heart gets a little bit harder. We say no to God and our heart gets hard. How do you respond when the name of someone who has hurt you comes up in conversation? That's an indication of where your heart is. Because if their name comes up and you scoff and you begin to say things about them, that's an indication that your heart is hard because you've disobeyed God. Have you ever been in the grocery store and you see someone that has hurt you or that you just don't like? What do you do before they see you? If you dart down a different aisle so that you won't have to see them. That is a clear indication that there are problems in your relationship and your heart is hard because you know God says we're supposed to go and make things right. So hard hearts take you away from God and they take you away from others, but hard hearts also take you another place. We're going to do two scenes here back to back and I want you to, to watch and notice where their hard-heartedness takes them. 
this is the beef, and I would encourage the creature you ride the head scissor. Out here, one armed man looks like he's a prey. <laughs> and a one eyed man who can't shoot? Why don't you turn back, Cockburn? Oh, I'll do fine. I know where the Parmalee claim is. I'm uninjured, well provisioned, and we agreed to separate. In conscience, you cannot side our agreement. You're the one who shot me. Mr. Babith has a point, Marshal. It is an unfair leg up in any competition to shoot your opposite number. And I do not accept it as a given that I did shoot LaBeef. There are plenty of guns going off. I heard the rifle, and I felt the ball. You missed your shot, Cogburn. Missed my shot! You are more handicapped without the eye than I without the arm. I can hit a knife at 90 yards. That counterman in front of them cheap shells on me again. I thought you were going to say the sun was in your eyes. That is to say, your eye. I will chuck one high or far. There. There! My bullet! Your bullet? If you hit what you aim at, explain my shoulder. Gentlemen, shooting cornbread out here on the prairie is getting us no closer to the Ned Pepper gang. One more. This'll prove it. Wait, hold fire. Cogburn's not want me eating out of his store. That is silly. You have not eaten the whole day, and it is my store, not. Let him starve. He does not track. He does not shoot. Accepted foodstuffs. That was your initiative. He does not contribute. He's a man who walks in front of bullets. Mr. LeBeef, you single-handed upon the Lucky Ned Pepper Gang while we fired safety from cover. Wait. It is unfair to indict a man when his jaw is swollen and tongue mangled and who is therefore unable to rise to his own defense. I can speak for myself. I am hardly obliged to answer the ravings of a drunkard who has been leased me. I shall make my own camp elsewhere. It is you who have nothing to offer, Cogburn. A sad picture indeed. This is no longer a manhunt. It is a debauch. The Texas Ranger presses on, alone. Take the girl. I bow out. 
A fine thing to decide once you brought her into the middle of the Choctaw Nation. I bow out. I wash my hands. Oh, gentlemen, we cannot fall out in this fashion. Not so close to our goal with Tom Cheney nearly in hand. In hand? If he is not in a shallow grave somewhere between here and Fort Smith, he is gone. Long gone. Thanks to Mr. LaBeef, we missed our shot. We barked and the birds have flown. Gone, gone, gone. Like Annette and his cohort gone. Your $50 gone. Gone the whiskey. Seized in evidence. Trail is cold if there ever was one. I'm, I'm a foolish old man who's been drawn into a wild goose chase by a harpy in trousers and a nincompoop. Uh, Mr. LaBeef. He can wander the Choctaw Nation for as long as he likes. Perhaps the local engines will take him in and honor his gibberings by making him cheap. You, sister, let go where you like. Our engagement is terminated. Bye-bye. In the first scene... Leave it to the 14-year-old to say, shooting at cornbread out here in the middle of nowhere does not get us any closer to our goal. And then in this scene, um, Cogburn bows out. Labeef is going to go on his own. They're just so mad at each other that they're just willing to stop. And they, they're not even going to pursue the enemy anymore. And so that brings me to the third point of what a hard heart does to you. It, call, it, it takes us away from our calling. Both guys were distracted with showing each other how great of shot they were. Both guys were then um, distraught because the, the trail had grown cold. And I want you to think about people you know. How many people in the kingdom of God do you know who have quit? Think about, think about ministers. There's a lot of ministers who have been disqualified because of their own sinful choices. That's caused by a hard heart. There have been, there have been ministers who have quit because of hard-hearted people in the congregation. But there's a lot of people sitting out there who have quit the kingdom of God either because of other hard-hearted people or because of their own hard heart. I was talking to someone yesterday who had visited our church a while back and they were telling me how much they enjoyed our church because, because they could come here and they could be themselves. Because they came here and they saw other people that they knew struggled with some of the same issues they struggled with. We're starting to get a reputation around here that we're a place that anybody can come. We have, we have drug counselors telling people, you need to go there because they have Celebrate Recovery. And then they even say, not only have Celebrate Recovery, they got a bunch of addicts that come to their worship service. Addicts come to worship service? Sounds like a place that Jesus would hang out. We have probation officers that are sending people to our church because of Celebrate Recovery, but because there's other people in our church who have been in prison and, and, and have been changed in prison, and now they can come here. There is a place, and it's my goal since we started this place, to have, to have a place where anybody could come as you are. Hard hearts and all, we welcome you. And we're going to tell you about Jesus because we believe that Jesus is going to do something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And so if somebody says, oh, that's that church where addicts and, and, and people who've been in jail go, say, yes, it is. 
We did that on purpose. We wear that as a badge of honor. You see, the calling is what God put you on earth to do. And if you get a hard heart or if you allow somebody else in the church who has a hard heart to discourage you, you will turn your back on God and you will turn your back on the church. The Bible is very clear. We all have this disease and we can't cure it ourselves. There is a cure, though, and only God can do it. The cure is 100% effective, but it is also very, very painful. And that's why you can't get this cure until you are at the bottom of yourself. We've had people go through Celebrate Recovery who've gone right back into addictions. And we've had people do this cycle over and over. And they'll tell you in recovery that the reason that you don't get well is because you hadn't hurt enough. You're not at the bottom yet. Because when you get at the bottom, you no longer care what your friends think. You no longer care what your family thinks. You get to the bottom and you say, if there's a God, I need His help. And that's when God has you right where He wants you. The cure is to get a new heart. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament when, when God was speaking to His people in Ezekiel thirty six twenty six, He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you the heart of stone because your actions have created your heart of stone. And He says, you need a new heart. I'll give you a heart of flesh, a soft heart, a tender heart towards me and towards other people. God wants to give you a new heart. You're going to have to get a heart transplant if you're going to experience true life, life change. Now, this movie, True Grit, is, is supposed to be about some guys with unusual courage. You know, um, John Wayne, he was known for that. And, and in this one, Jeff Bridges becomes uh, Rooster Cogburn. And, you know, the defining scene is when he puts the, the reins in his, in his teeth and he has both guns and he's facing down unbelievable odds. And he's, That's true courage, they tell you in the movie. But I have a different definition of true courage. It's a man or woman who says, man, I got a hard heart and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. And they confess before God that I'm nothing without you. I got no future without you. That's courage. I had somebody tell me um, this week something they'd never told anybody else before. And, and honestly, as they were telling me this, I saw the emotion on their face and, and, and I said, um, you've never told anyone before, have you? No. And in all honesty, my heart started beating a little bit faster and I said, there's hope for you. Because once you get something out in the light, God begins to deal with it. Your secrets make you sick. Again, this is a Celebrate Recovery uh, saying. The things that you don't want anybody to know about, that's what's causing your sickness. That's what's driving you farther from God, farther from others, farther from your calling. It's your secrets. The things that you bring out in the open, that's when God can deal with them. So I said, I said to this person, you are about to experience something new in your relationship with God because you were courageous enough to tell me. Of course, you know, they're like, you better not tell anybody else. No, won't do that. But if you're willing to open up, that's courage. And God says he can work with people like that. Um, the only way to get this new heart is you've got to admit it. And the way we talk about it around here is we say that, that we ask Jesus to be the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our life. 
And so in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never done that, you can say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you to forgive my sins. And I need you to, to take me down a new path because this path that I'm on is not working. Give you a chance to do that. But when we close this service, I'm going to give you another assignment. And here's what it is. I want you to, um, I want you to think about, identify one person in your life that you need to have a softer heart towards. Because there's somebody that just drives you nuts. And if you're married to a man, man. But you need to soften your heart towards them. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is to write their name on the back of your registration card, at least their initials. If you, I, I don't care if you just put initials, um, but write their name. Someone that is just yanking your chain and driving you crazy and you can't stand them. <laughs> Put it on there because God may have put them in your life to teach you a lesson. You don't learn lessons of love by loving lovely people. You learn how to love by being around people who are unlovely. And some of you are going, oh, Jesus, I got a lot of love to learn. <laughs> now, God knows you're upset with them. So let's just get it out in the open and ask God to help you have a tender heart. And here's how you'll know whether you have a tender heart. You begin to say to God, God, you just say the word to me. Whatever your Bible teaches, whatever you, word you give me that I know is from you, I will obey. I'm going to double dog dare you to pray that prayer every day this week about the person you write down. God, whatever you tell me to do, I'm willing to do. And do not be surprised when you pray that prayer if God doesn't bring them across your path this week to see if you're really going to be obedient. And your heart will beat a little faster because some of you are non-confrontational people. That's Janie, unless there's a pit bull involved. But even my wife has gone to people and she, she'll tell you she would rather vomit than confront somebody on something. And I'm just Mr. Compassion, you know. I'm like, you know what God says. When are you going to do it? And I hate it when she turns that around on me. I just hate that. Because she's right. I mean, this happened with my sister years ago. And, and uh, I was upset and she was upset. And, and I was ready to leave my hometown and come back. Just forget this. And Janie says, when are you going to do what God tells you to do? The words I thought were not tender. So I went over to my sister and I said, I love you. And I'm sorry. And she said, I love you and I'm sorry. You know, it was, it was awesome. It's what happens when you obey God. Now, I have a second assignment for you. I want you to identify someone in your world whose heart is extremely hard towards God. Hard towards God. Because you know them. And it may be somebody in a close family. It may be somebody um, that's just a friend you work with. I don't know. But I want you to put their name or initials on the back of the card as well. And here's what I want you to pray for the next seven days. Is that God will give you an opportunity to show mercy and grace to that person. And that their heart will soften towards God. And again, don't be surprised if God gives you that opportunity very quickly. If you're serious, God will give you opportunities to reach out to other people. We're going to pray that these folks will recognize their need for a new heart. All right, let's wrap this up. Would you bow your heads for just a moment? 
some of you here have never stepped across the line of faith. You've never drawn a line in the sand and, and said, I am a Christ follower. And it's why your religious life doesn't work. It's why church makes you miserable. Because you're not actually in God's kingdom. You're not a member of His family. So you don't have His Holy Spirit living inside of you. You don't have a new heart. And today, you need to pray. And you need to ask God to adopt you into His family. And this is what you do. You say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You just pray this silently where you are. God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to lead my life. God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sin. Please lead my life from this day forward. Some of you know that you have a hard heart. You know that you're a Christ follower. You know you're in the kingdom of God, but you've been far from God for a while. And you need God to do heart surgery on you. So the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't turn you away when you sincerely ask for forgiveness. So some of you hard-hearted people today are members of the, of the family of God, but nobody can tell the difference in your heart and a completely lost heart because you're so hard-hearted. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you just to confess that to God, to say, God, my heart is stone and I don't want it to be. Would you cleanse me and pull me back, draw me close to you? And, and what I pray for a lot of people is that God will fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Some of you need to pray and say, God, fan into flame that spiritual fervor, that gift that you gave me at the beginning. I've wandered away from it. Please renew it. And then some of you are just hard-hearted towards other people. You've been hurt a number of times. You can't stand it. You've thought about it so much that you can't stand the other person. And you seriously need a new heart. And so you, you confess that to God. I think God wants you to be perfectly, brutally honest with Him, not with the other person. If you can't stand that person, then you say in your mind right now, God, you know I can't stand that person. You know I've been hurt. But that hurt and that pain is keeping me from becoming the person you want me to be. It's keeping me from becoming the husband or wife you want me to be. The mom or dad you want me to be. The friend you want me to be. God, you put me on this earth for a reason, but I'm so far from that because I can't stand this person. Confess it and ask God to give you a new heart. God, may this be the start of a brand new life of brand new hearted people today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let me say this. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean that you totally trust them. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. Trust has to be rebuilt. Forgiveness is a command of God. And it's supernatural. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to give you a forgiving, new, tender, fleshly heart. But I say this, you know, a lot of people, if you, if you smash, if you borrow my car and you smash my car, I can forgive you for that, but it doesn't mean I toss you the keys the next time you want them. Right? You've got to build back up to that.
in making things right with people that have hurt you. Sometimes it is right to go to them. They'll teach you this and celebrate recovery. You go and you make things right unless doing so would injure them further. And the illustration I've used, there's a lady in a church years ago, one of the meanest ladies I've ever known in my life. And, and to go to her after I'd left that church several churches ago, all that would do would stir up some things for her and probably for me. So what I did was I wrote a letter and I told her everything that I wanted to say that I would never say. And then I prayed and I confessed to God and I went and I burned that letter. There are things, if, if you show up to somebody's house, you're going to cause problems for them now and in the future. Now, that, that's not to say that someone that hurt your feelings here this morning, oh, well, I'll just write a letter. No, you're, you're being chicken that way. If you have the opportunity to go to someone face-to-face, you're supposed to go to them face-to-face unless going to them. Give you an example. You commit adultery with somebody, they've moved on and they're married and they have children, you don't show up and knock on their door and say, will you forgive me for committing adultery with you? No. They may not even have dealt with that in their... You see what I'm saying? There's, there's a principle. And if you're unclear on where that line is, come see me and we'll decide that together. Right? If you need to talk to somebody. But I'm willing to bet most of you need to talk to someone face-to-face because doing that is not going to hurt your future or their future. Doing that is going to make your heart tender again. We have three baskets at the back. One is our joy basket... Church members, regular tenders, you're expected to give. If you're a guest, we never ask for a dime of your money. You walk by. This is our gift to you. You walk by that basket and don't worry about it. We have a registration card basket. If you have prayer concerns, we always ask you to write something down. Because honestly, if you're not applying the Word of God to your life, we're wasting time. But if you have something to apply, that's why we ask you to write it down, to help you remember. It's why we use movies. It's why we use illustrations. We want you to remember the Word of God because it's just as practical now as when it was written 2,000 to 6,000 years ago. It's the only book on the planet that is supernatural power and it's just as relevant today as it was when it was written. Written by over 40 different authors over a period of 1,500 years. It's a miraculous book. And we want you to apply those things to your life. So you write that on the card. If you have prayer concerns, put that on the card. Put that in the basket. We have one other uh, basket back there. It's our bagel basket. Building a great life. Trying to get out of debt because we believe God wants us out of debt so we can be ready for our future. Anything that goes in that basket goes towards the principal on our loan. Amanda says it's time to go. You're dismissed.